I don't know. I don't like sticky stuff. I know that sounds like that's why I don't like to bake. I don't like my hands little sticky. Like it just stresses <laughs> me. <laughs> oh, jeez. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we're sharing our March Books on the Radar. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I am good. I mean, are you ready for March? I am. Wow. What a month for new releases. I like, mm-hmm. is this going to be the biggest yeah. release month of the year? Well, March 26th is sure looking I didn't like... even get to the 26th with mine. Oh, like, you didn't? No, I already so... had like six and I was only on like the third week. I'm like, that's good. Oh, <laughs> so you can, okay, a you lot, can wrap us up. Many of mine come out on March 26th. I was like, okay, clearly this is a big pub day. Oh, man. I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe March, April, and May, I predict have to be heavy hitters, right? Mm-hmm. Because if publishers are really front-loading new releases, then you figure they're going to want most of them to be in those months before summer reading. Yeah. And then I the don't election. Know. I don't know. I, did, I mm. haven't even looked past March, really. Um, I don't know how heavy April and May are going to be. I'm just predicting. Yeah, same. But that's good. What a what a good problem to have. But yeah, yes. I think we, yeah, and we'll see. You know, I used to think that fall was like the big season. And, and maybe, of course, it still will be. But I'm like, I feel like there's a lot being pushed toward the beginning. It could just be I think because I haven't I looked, think because but. it's a, yeah, I think because it's an election year. Mm-hmm. I think that's the reason. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. I but think so. Also, I don't know. I mean, really, it could be wrong. Maybe they are. Maybe they are still going to plan a heavy fall. Well, we'll see. Maybe we'll see. they'll leave us alone, and then we can catch up on our TBRs. <laughs> that would be oh, great. Oh gosh, that would be nice. All right. Well, let me tell you what I've been loving lately because I have not been reading a lot this week. Because, friends, my entire life—not <laughs> really, but my free time—has <laughs> been taken up by a woman called Risa Tisa on TikTok. And she is somebody that was on TikTok this week who was sharing her her experience having been married to a true pathological liar. Her story captivated me in a way like nothing has before on social media. And I'm not alone. And I'll tell you some numbers here. She created this series called, called Who the F Did I Marry? And it has 52 parts. <laughs> and each of the 52 parts is 10 minutes long. In it, she explains how she met, married, and divorced a true pathological liar, and she is sharing the things as she experienced them. So she starts you off right, I think it was March 1st, we'll say, 2020, right before the pandemic. After a couple weeks, they started quarantining together, and that sort of kicked off and accelerated the relationship. When I tell you I had my phone in the shower so I could listen to her, <laughs> like that, oh is how, that is how crazy I am. She created a playlist. So you just literally turn the playlist on like you would an audiobook or podcast and just listen and, and go through it. 
So it's in real time. And she tells you from like a first person point of view. She doesn't like give spoilers, right? It's true storytelling. So you hear how they first met, their first date, how things were going, the first red flag. And then when I tell you I did not see this coming, that's no lie. Like it, uh, okay. And I, again, I'm not the only one watching this. If you're not on TikTok, she's uploaded it to Instagram too. And she's not an influencer or an otherwise famous person. She is a regular person who had this very traumatic, mind-blowing experience. I don't know how many followers she had to start, but she is up to 2.6 million now. Oh, wow. I don't think she, we'll say she had like less than 10,000. I mean, she had a modest amount and now Mm 2.6 million. This just uploaded, I think, the week of Valentine's Day. So a couple weeks, a week or two ago. Each of the 52 videos also has over a million views. I saw somebody else's. There's, of course, all these commentary videos. Somebody said that she has about 250 million total views and growing. 250 million. You would think that would just break TikTok. (laughs) That seems like a lot for just one person. It was wild. I hadn't seen my For You page in like the entire week. And she's in what's called the creator program, which where if you have a video that's over a minute long, you can qualify per thousand views. You get like however much money. Um, And so I think someone else had said she's up to like 80,000 or something. And anyway, Mm. it doesn't matter. I watched all of this over the span of several days. And here's what I'll say. One, I initially got interested because it's a cultural phenomenon in my corner of the internet. I saw other people talking about it. I was just fascinated that so many people got invested and watched all 52 videos. I mean, that's seven plus hours. That is an audiobook. That is a series podcast. And I was right. like, oh my God, how embarrassing I'm spending so much time. And then I'm like, no, because you would do this for a book. You would do this for a couple movies. You would do this for a TV show. Mm-hmm. What's It's right. just a different medium. I like that it's a new form of media. And it was just fascinating to be a part of that in real time. The big difference, though, is you have the comment section. And so in the comment section, you're commiserating. I'm like, girl, you went to work with me. You were in the show. You know, like you're sharing your <laughs> thoughts as are other people. And there's funny comments. There's also very, very sweet comments. There's people saying, ma'am, I also am in the relationship like this. Thank you so much for sharing my story. I'm going to keep my eyes open. And it was fascinating. She has this real sense of community surrounding her. She's, again, a fantastic storyteller. Her memory is impeccable. I can't remember last week. And she's out here telling us what happened. And she also kept a lot of voice diaries, which I think really helped her. Maybe not. Mm, She she probably is just that Mm -hmm. (laughs) good at remembering. But my goodness, (laughs) is she a storyteller? And she's calm and collected while sharing the most vulnerable part of herself. And like, she gets activated for good reason, but boy, oh boy. Finally, the thing that kept me listening was that the story was entertaining, but I liked her motivation for sharing. She wasn't trying to be viral. She wasn't trying to be an influencer. She wanted to bring awareness to these issues. And she she says, you know, if I could get one woman to open her eyes, it's worth it. Things are now unfolding in real time. She talks a lot about things that she wanted, like a house or whatever. And like, it's fun to see. I I don't want to say what's happening, but like, because I tried to avoid real time things that are happening, but they're good for her. Put it that way. But some of the real people, she does not use any names that are real. They're all aliases. Although some of the real people are speaking out, including the liar himself. And in the comment section or no, not in elsewhere. the comment section in his own little videos. Oh. They found him. Oh, Somebody okay. exposed his name and like that whole thing oh. I haven't touched yet. But okay. if you are in need of something to get hooked on or want to learn about pathological liars, 
check out our page and the playlist, Who the F Did I Marry? I will say you have to listen from the beginning. So settle in. And I know it sounds silly, but trust me and allow yourself to, if you are enjoying it, let yourself. This is the TikTok account of Risa Tisa, and I will link to it in our show notes. Okay. Is it R R E E S A? Yes. How do you spell? Mm-hmm. R- okay. Risa Tisa. Mm-hmm. Quick question, mm-hmm. because I am not on TikTok mm-hmm. and I don't know how this would go, but so do you have to actually, is it like an evolving video that just keeps going to the next yes. one? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Netflix show? Yes, exactly. In the um, playlist. Is it like that? Okay. Mm-hmm. You can turn on turn on her playlist and it says, you know, whatever. Click on oh, episode okay. one and then it just revolves. It just goes. It just keeps And that's going. what I did. Okay. You know, I'm like making dinner, I'm cooking, whatever. I at one point downloaded the videos and was casting them to my TV because <laughs> I was sick of like oh holding my, my I was <laughs> invested, but it was, it was fascinating. Okay, that's really interesting. Wow, this could be a new, um, yeah, new medium for mm-hmm. stories like that. And like for true crime in a way, like it's mm-hmm. wild, wild. Right, okay. Um, my Loving Lately is not that exciting. <laughs> um, I think yours was really interesting. Mine is my Kitchen Aid food processor. I just got a food yeah, processor yeah, yeah. for the first time in my life. <laughs> Never owned one, didn't know how to use it, but the reason I ended up deciding to get one, and I, I went with a KitchenAid, which is a, a little more on the pricey side, but um, that's what was recommended to me by my neighbor who cooks. I just, I was came across this uh, recipe. I will try to find the actual link to it and link it. If you don't see a link in the show notes for this recipe for homemade protein bars, then just email me and I'll send it to you. And the reason I don't know if I have the link is because this recipe came up in my Instagram, not the even the explore page. I think it was in my feed. And so so it's on the creator's actual site, I believe. So I guess I could link to her. But anyway, if people aren't on Instagram, I think you might and you like protein bars, you're going to really want this recipe. But I found that this food processor itself was so easy to learn how to use. I am not someone who bakes. I'm not, I'm, I'm dipping my toe into cooking more. But when I came across this recipe and I don't like to buy protein bars, but I like the idea of having a protein bar if I wanted to just do a quick lunch, but I want a healthy protein bar, which is almost impossible to find at the store that also like ones that also taste good. So anyway, that was my motivation. I did make the protein bars using a blender. And the reason that that was a pain is because it's a fairly large batch and you have to only put small amounts in to pulse and like chop up really finely or else the ingredients won't stick together. And so I did have some mishaps and it was a pain to use the blender. So I thought, you know what? Let me make the leap to a food processor. And now... I love it. It is so easy. This recipe calls for pumpkin seeds and almonds and like so many things that are literally just, you know, like finely chopped in seconds. It's so fun. It's so (laughs) satisfying. I finally nailed the recipe. I'm giving a batch when I make it to my older son. 
He loves them. We love them. Darren can't stop eating them. He's. I just made an, a batch over the weekend. He said, you're saving us some, right? And I was like, yes. And I figured out how to get them to, to properly stick together. So if this sounds interesting to you, I, I'm also, I will give you my tips. My next project is homemade almond butter. That'll be Which cool. apparently you can easily make with a food processor. So go. this was my KitchenAid food processor. Yeah, I do not have a food processor either. I, you know, I, my, my mom was aghast. We were making Christmas cookies. She's like, what do you mean? You don't have a food processor. I was like, no, I don't know. I, I don't bake. I don't really. She's like, but you can cut cheese with it. I'm like, but how much cheese am I needing? <laughs> I need a Yeah, you can make salsa. But, There's a lot. Yes. I'm, I've been I've been researching yeah. quite a lot, but I, I'm really, I'm going to try this homemade almond butter, which the recipe calls for, but you can also use cashew butter or yeah. sunflower or peanut butter. Almond butter is expensive. Yeah, it, is. Mm-hmm. it is ridiculous. So if I can make it myself, I'm I'm going to give this well, a, a go. Look at you, Sally homemaker. All right, <laughs> I like cooking too. I'm just I'm just I don't know. I don't like sticky stuff. I know that sounds like that's why I don't like to bake. I don't like my hands little sticky. Like it just stresses <laughs> me. <laughs> Maybe that's why I need a food Jeez. processor. That would well, solve my yes, stickiness problem. I mean, it would. But with this particular type of recipe, once you put it in a cake pan, you do have to press it down with your hands, <laughs> Tina. They will get sticky, yeah. but you can wash them. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, next is my latest read. This was one of my January books on the radar. One of my goals for this year was to bring the books on the radar and to read the books on the radar. So I present to you Last Call at the Local by Sarah Grunder Ruiz. This is contemporary romance set in a pub in Ireland, and it is a part of the love lists and fancy ships world. I brought her first book to the show way back, loved it, was so surprised by it, and also enjoyed her second. I will say, the first and second book, definitely you'll want to read and order this one. The main characters are just related to two of the other ones. So it's not, well, one of them's related. The other one's brand new. So you definitely don't need to read the first two if this at all sounds interesting. It is an opposites attract love story between a free-spirited American singer-songwriter who has ADHD and an Irishman with mental health challenges of his own. And he is back in Ireland to refresh his family's pub. Rain Hart is following her dream. She gave up her life in Boston to busk around Europe as a traveling musician. She's doing okay until her musical instruments get stolen, which obviously leaves her unable to perform. She's like, well, great. I guess I have to go back home and goes to a nearby pub to weigh her options. And here she meets Jack. Jack Dunn has inherited the local and wants to make the pub his own. But since it's in the family business and it has been around for a while, it's easier said than done. And he also has OCD. And his main symptoms are intrusive thoughts, which makes things even more challenging. They meet and Rain accidentally insults him and the pub. But instead of taking offense, he's impressed with her vision of what the pub could be and offers her a job in bringing it back to life. Of course, it's a romance. They hit it off and start to develop feelings for each other. But their opposite lifestyles and the fact that he's now her boss kind of make things hard. Things develop, and they have to decide, eventually, what concessions they're willing to make to pursue their relationship. I really liked this. I thought it was sweet and heartfelt. I did the audio. The male narrator doing an Irish accent is fabulous, and you also get a female narrator who has her own style. It's Carissa Vacker. And I just really enjoyed hearing the alternating viewpoints. I appreciated the portrayal of ADHD 
the hyper-focus, losing or misplacing things, and I saw a bit of myself in rain. The only thing I will say, Jack's OCD did give me pause. And I heard from one of our patrons who is a school psychologist who thought it was problematic the way it was portrayed, which I can totally see. I missed it, though, because I was so into the characters. And I know, personally, the author is a mental health advocate. So I knew it was done with, I knew she wasn't making stuff up. She probably had researched and like put some thought into it. Um, But I thought it was worth noting. I really liked it. I still recommend this book, particularly it's very Irish. And it's also in a real Irish town, which I thought was kind of fun because I was Googling to see if the places they were visiting exist, and it does. So it gave you a little bit of armchair travel, too. This was Last Call at the Local by Sarah Grunder Ruiz. Okay. You're doing good on your books on the radar. Yeah, thanks. All right. My latest read... I'm putting you on the spot a little bit okay. because I you didn't know I was reading this. Okay. And I, I don't know if you're going to remember right off, which is okay. But do you remember a long time ago where we each said to each other, I want you to read this book and I want you to read this book. And I agreed to read it and it was a lot and I never read it yes. until now. Yes. Do you remember what book it was? I wanted you to read A Knock at Midnight. Okay, good. Is it right? Good, yay. Yes, that's it. That's I finally read <laughs> oh my God, it. Amazing. A Knock at Midnight. Oh, I'm excited. A story. Yeah. A story of hope, justice, and freedom by Brittany K. Barnett. And I listened to this one. Audio was great. She does not narrate herself, but the narrator was really good. This is Brittany's memoir, and it... Basically, um, it, I mean, we will get her childhood, but what this is about is when she was a law student and she came across a case that would change her life forever, that of Sharonda Jones, single mother, business owner, and like Brittany, black daughter of the rural South. Sharonda was a victim of America's ruthless, devastating war on drugs. She had been torn away from her young daughter and was serving a life sentence without parole, all for a first-time drug offense. And in Sharonda, Brittany saw haunting echoes of her own life, both as the daughter of a formerly incarcerated mother and the once girlfriend of an abusive drug dealer. As she studied Sharonda's case, a system slowly came into focus, one where widespread racial injustice forms the core of our country's addiction to incarceration. She was moved by Sharonda's plight so much that Brittany set to work on gaining her freedom. And it wasn't just Sharonda. There is so much more to the story. There was other cases. Uh, We do get to know Brittany, her past, a bit of her childhood, a bit of her growing up. Um, We meet her mother, we meet her sister. So I really, really liked how she incorporated her story, but it didn't take up much of the book. Although her story is very important, you can tell that what she wanted to focus most on were the stories that she tells in this book and her passion for trying to make change. And this, I don't, I could not tell you why I did not read this sooner because this is such a a good book to put in a flight with The Sun to Shine and some of the other books that I've read that I really liked. And like I said, I have a, a double major with psychology and criminology. I have an interest in this. When I was in college and graduate school, I took a class on prisons. So I have a background in studying um, mass incarceration. She really dives into the problem. Why is it a problem? And why was the war on drugs just a disaster, an absolute disaster? This was fascinating. It was inspiring. 
it made, I mean, as soon as I was done, I went right to her website and I had, and I, like I was hoping there's updates on people and I became so invested in these people and I can see why she did too. This will open your eyes. This will definitely open your eyes. It's thought provoking. It is very well written. I hope she writes more. Something else I really, really like is reading about people smart people with passion that just figure out somehow how to build their life around it. And that is exactly what she did. I found her her story, her personal story, really inspiring too. So that was A Knock at Midnight, A Story of Hope, Justice, and Freedom by Brittany K. Barnett. Well, I am delighted that you read that. Yes. And I totally remember my, your book for me was The Sun Does Shine, yes. Anthony Ray Hinton, which I did read yes. and love. Agree they go together very well. Boy, I just, yeah, I still remember her story exactly as, as you were going through it. Um, and she really just effortlessly combines her story with mm-hmm. her work that she's doing. When you read something like this, I mean, you, at least I was kind of like, God, okay, do more. Like you could, I mean, she's just so, just so passionate and so um, dedicated. And what a difference she has made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really loved getting an update and seeing some of the people. I was so invested in the book. I got to see pictures of them on her website. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's always fun mm-hmm. when you're compelled to look further. Mm-hmm. All right, we will dive into our March titles. There are many. We're each bringing five. And my first one is called Baby X by Kira Pykoff. And this is sort of a mystery thriller sci-fi mashup. It's giving me a little bit of like a Blake Crouch type feel because it centers on biological matter that can be used to create life. And it doesn't have to be sperm or egg. It can be from saliva. So in the near future in the United States, where advanced technology can create egg or sperm from any person's cells. So celebrities are faced with the alarming potential of meeting biological children they never conceived. Not just celebrities, really anybody. Mm -hmm. But it's focusing on that because famous singer Trace Thorne is tired of being targeted by The Vault, a black market site devoted to stealing DNA. Could you imagine? Oh, wow. He's sick of paying ransom money for his own cell matter. He hires biosecurity guard Ember Ryan to ensure his biological safety. Ember will do anything she can to protect her clients, and she knows all the vault's tricks. Discarded tissues, used straws, lipstick tubes, and has prevented countless DNA theft. Working for Thorne, her focus becomes split. When she begins to fall for him... But she knows she hasn't any, let anything slip. Love or not, his DNA is safe. But then she and Thorne are confronted by a pregnant woman, Quinn, who claims that Thorne is the father of her baby and all bets are off. This is brilliantly plotted and terrifyingly prescient. It's an unpredictable and relentless speculative thriller, perfect for fans of Blake Crouch and John Mars, which are definitely two authors that uh-huh. I see in this. Yeah, I feel a lot of feelings about this, <laughs> given that it. Yeah, I I just think it's, I like books like this that are taking elements of issues we're facing today and like taking them to the next level. What if, what would mm-hmm. be? I hope this is good. I'll let you know. It's Baby X by Kira Pykoff. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I like a change up. I mean, it sounds like it's a bit risky, but yeah. it could pay off. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, my first book is Change by Edward Louis. This is a book in translation which is one of my goals for the year. I want to bring in more translated 
books. This comes out March 5th. And I thought this was really interesting because it's an autobiographical novel from the author. And he is hailed as one of the most important voices of his generation. It is about social class, transformation, and the perils of leaving the past behind. And he says, one question took center stage in my life. It focused all of my thoughts and occupied every moment when I was alone with myself. How could I get this revenge? By what means? I tried everything, which I love that as a teaser. So in the story, Edward longs for a life beyond the poverty, discrimination, and violence in his working class hometown. So he sets out for school in a different city and later university in Paris. He sheds the provincial, quote, Eddie nickname for an elegant new name determined to eradicate every aspect of his past. He reads incessantly. He dines with aristocrats. He spends nights with millionaires and drug dealers alike. Everything he does is motivated by a single obsession to become someone else. And the publisher says that this is at once harrowing and profound. It is a story, not just a personal odyssey, but a story of dreams and of the beautiful violence being torn away. I don't, I'm very interested in reading this. It is Change by Edouard Louis. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of us going and in, in trying to achieve our reading goals, more translation, reading our books yes. on the radar. I'm, I'm seeing a trend. All right. Next is another one that comes out on March 5th. It's called Dominoes by Phoebe McIntosh. And this opens in London, 29 days before a young couple's wedding. Layla is a mixed-race woman with a black Jamaican mother and a white father she's never met. And Andy is a white man of Scottish descent. When they first meet at a party, they can't believe how instant their chemistry is and how quickly their relationship unfolds. And they even share a last name, McKinnon. Layla's best friend, Sarah, isn't so sure about Andy or about the fact that her best friend is engaged to a white man. As the wedding approaches, Sarah prompts her friend to research her heritage more, leading Layla to make a shocking discovery. It's extremely likely that Andy's ancestors enslaved Layla's in Jamaica. And that money from that enslavement helped build his family's wealth. So what seemed like a fairy tale romance is suddenly derailed as Layla begins to uncover parts of her history and identity that she never imagined or had simply learned to ignore. She goes to Jamaica for the first time, where she uncovers truths about her family's history that will change the way she thinks about herself and her future. Again, it's 29 days to the wedding and the clock is ticking, so she has to make a decision to commit to the man she loves or expose a shameful history that has gone unspoken for far too long. Talk about complicated love stories. I mean, I am very, mm -hmm. very intrigued. Uh, So that is Dominoes by Phoebe (laughs) McIntosh. That's an interesting premise. That's one where you can just say one sentence and Mm -hmm. then, oh, okay, great. I'm going to add it to my list. (laughs) I love a one sentence enticing plot where you just, I mean, that's, that's enough. Like you have Mm -hmm. to find out what's going to happen. I know. Are they going to get married? Like, Mm -hmm. is it true? There's a lot of, I mean, if the author can pull this off, then it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Okay. Um, My next one is Women of Good Fortune by Sophie Wan. Mm. Comes out March 5th. Did you, do you know this one, Tina? Mm -hmm. Okay. This is set against a high society Shanghai wedding and is billed as a heartfelt, funny, dazzling novel about a reluctant bride and her two best friends. 
each with their own motives and fed up with the way society treats women, all three will forge a plan to steal all the gift money on the big day. All right. Actually, I don't know if it's the bride, but sounds like it's definitely the friend. So I don't know. But anyway, in the story, Lulu has always been taught that money is the ticket to a good life. So when Shanghai's most eligible bachelor surprises her with a proposal, the only acceptable answer is yes, even if the voice inside her head is saying no. His family's fortune would solve all her parents' financial woes, but Lulu isn't in love or ready for marriage. And the only people she can confide in are her two best friends, career-minded Rena, who is tired of being passed over for a promotion, and Jane, a sharp-tongued, luxury-chasing housewife, desperate to divorce her husband and trade up. Each of them desires something different, freedom, time, beauty, but none of them can get it without money. So Lulu's wedding is their golden opportunity, the social event of the season. It means more than enough cash gifts to transform the women's lives. But to steal the money on the big day, all they'll need is a trustworthy crew and a brilliant plan. So I'm going to leave it right there because, I mean, come on. I don't know that I've read a story with this particular plot line. So I am really curious to see what's going to happen. It feels like this is probably going to go really wrong and maybe it's going to be a hot mess. And I want to read about it. So it's Women of Good Fortune by Sophie Wan. All right. Next for me is Great Expectations by Vincent Cunningham. This one comes out on March 12th, and I'm so delighted. I'm so pumped for it. So it's about a man named David who first hears the senator from Illinois speak, and he feels deep ambivalence. He's intrigued by the senator's idealistic rhetoric, but also wonders how he'll balance the fervent belief and inevitable compromises it will take to become the United States' first Black president. So I think this is set during the initial Obama inauguration. Oh, Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. And along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, fatherhood, that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young Black man and father in America. This is a meditation on politics, politicians, religion, and preachers, and is an emotionally resonant coming-of-age story. I'm like, okay, I want to know. I feel like I'm excited for it. I feel like it's timely, too, in an election year. So we'll have to see. It's Great Expectations by Vincent Cunningham. Okay. All right. My next pick is a big one. I don't know. Could be the big one of the spring season. Maybe. It's James by Percival Everett. Comes out March 19th. This I don't even think you need to know much about this. Um, I picked this because I just read Erasure by Percival Everett. Loved it so much. And I mean, I, I have a feeling this is this is going to be as, like just as good. I cannot wait to, to read more from him. But this is a brilliant, action-packed reimagining of Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And I read that, and I'm pretty sure I read that in high school, but I don't remember anything about it. But What this one is going to be is entirely told from the enslaved Jim's point of view. And in the story, when the enslaved Jim overhears that he is about to be sold to a man in New Orleans, 
Separated from his wife and daughter forever, he decides to hide on nearby Jackson Island until he can formulate a plan. Meanwhile, Huck Finn has faked his own death to escape his violent father, recently returned to town. As all readers of American literature know, thus begins the dangerous and transcendent journey by raft down the Mississippi River toward the elusive and too often unreliable promise of the free states and beyond. Like I said, I don't remember the book Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I am going with this because Percival Everett is writing it. And some of the early blurbs are saying that this is both harrowing and ferociously funny. And also the Washington Post says, if you like Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, read James by Percival Everett. All right. I mean, yeah, I think it's, this is going to be great. Early early buzz is really good on this one. It's James by Percival Everett. Mm-hmm. Yep, that one was on my list too. Definitely intrigued. And I think you're right. This is going to be one of the bigger books for, you know, early 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next is a cover selection by me. It's called The Divorcees mm-hmm. by Rowan Beard. Did you see this one? Yes, I love the cover. Oh my gosh, it's a woman. She's from the 1950s in a pool and she just looks so chic. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lois Sanders thought she was marrying the right man and she thought this would cure her loneliness. But as picture perfect as her husband is, she is suffocating in their loveless marriage. In 1951, though, unhappiness is hardly grounds for divorce, except in Reno, Nevada. So there's this place called the Golden Yarrow, and it's the most respectable of Reno's famous divorce ranches because you have to be separated for a certain period of time in order to get a divorce during this time. And so women would go here and wait it out, basically. So Lois finds herself living with half a dozen other would-be divorcees all in Reno for the six weeks residency that is the state's only requirement for divorce. Oh, okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. So you have to be a resident for six months of Reno in order to get the divorce. Got it. Still good. That's actually better Mm -hmm. because now they're there for six months. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they spend their days riding horses and their nights flirting with cowboys. It's wild and fun. And I guess she's from Lake Forest, Illinois, and they call it prim and stifling, which has made me chuckle. Um, And it wasn't until Greer Lang arrives that Lois's world truly cracks open, though, because Greer is beguiling, completely indifferent to societal convention, and unlike anyone Lois has ever met, she sees something in Lois that no one else ever has. So she, of course, falls under her influence and begins to push against the limits that have always restrained her. But how much can she really trust the mysterious new friend, and how far will she go to forge her independence on her own terms? I feel like mm-hmm. Greer has an ulterior motive, so we will have to wait and see. It's a debut, so I'm got high hopes. It's The Divorcees by Rowan Beard. Yeah, and I mean, that cover also screams beach pool read. Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah, it, it looks good. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, my next pick is Everyone is Watching by Heather Gudenkoff, and it comes out March 26th. Heather Gudenkoff is an auto-read author for me, so I was very excited to find out what this new one was about. And this is a mysterious high-stakes game that's going to prove life-threatening. This is a thriller. And the tagline says, the best friend, the confidant, the senator, the boyfriend, the executive. So yes, this is a bit of a locked room thriller. There's five contestants. 
and they have been chosen to compete for $10 million on the game show One Lucky Winner. The catch? None of them knows what or who to expect, and it will be live-streamed all over the world. Completely secluded in an estate in Northern California with strict instructions not to leave the property and zero contact with the outside world, the competitors start to feel a little too isolated. When long-kept secrets begin to rise to the surface, the contestants realize this is no longer just a reality show. Someone is out for blood. And the game can't end until the world knows who the contestants really are. I mean, I trust in in this author to really bring this type of story. I've loved her thrillers in the past. Uh, I'm very intrigued by the live stream aspect of this and the fact that, of course, when you put people together and then cut off the outside world, like things are going to happen. So this is Everyone is Watching by Heather Gudenkoff. You know, I love a locked room. Kind I of know. Everyone's cut off mystery. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My next one is Like Happiness by Ursula Villarreal Mora. And this is uh, March 26th. This is another debut about the complexities of gender, power, and fame told through the story of a young woman's destructive relationship with a legendary writer. Starts out in 2015, and Tatum Vega feels like her life is finally falling into place. She's living in sunny Chile with her partner Vera, and she spends her days surrounded by art at the museum where she works. More than anything else, she loves this new life for helping her forget the decades she spent in New York City orbiting the brilliant and famous author M. Dominguez. And a reporter calls from the U.S. asking for an interview, kind of disrupting her new life. The careful separation she has constructed begins to crumble. Dominguez has been accused of assault, and the reporter is looking for corroboration. So she is forced to re-examine the all-consuming but undefinable relationship that dominated so much of her early adulthood and long-buried questions surface. What did happen between them? And why is she still struggling with the mark the relationship left on her life? This has a dual narrative that alternates between her present day and a letter from Tatum to Dominguez, recounting and reclaiming the totality of their relationship. Like Happiness explores the nuances of a complicated and imbalanced partnership. And it's got themes of gender, celebrity, memory, Latinx identity, and power dynamics. I picked this up on a—so, okay, my beef with NetGalley is, like, you just send them to your Kindle. You can't tell when mm-hmm. they're coming out. So I just have all these arcs that are sitting in my net, in my Kindle. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, what am I going to read? What am I going to read? I'll just cl- click around until I find one. I think I clicked on this, like, in December. And I, w- I read the first couple pages. I was like, ooh, this is juicy. But when does it come out? Because I don't like to bring books too early. And I saw it was March. I'm like, dang, I'll have to come back to it. So— this is me coming back to it. It is Like Happiness by Ursula Villarreal Mora. Yeah, that's on my um, radar too. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. My last book is Rabbit Heart, A Mother's Murder, A Daughter's Story by Christine S. Irvin. It comes out March 26th. So obviously this is a nonfiction and it is being billed as for readers of I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara and Those are some big shoes to comp it to, but this is a beautiful, brutal memoir documenting one woman's search for identity alongside her family's decades-long quest to identify the two men who abducted and murdered her mother. Christine was just eight years old when her mother, Kathy Sue Engel, was abducted from an Oklahoma mall 
and violently murdered in an oil field. First, there was grief, then the desire to know what happened to her, what she felt in the last terrible moments and all she was before these acts of violence defined her life. And in her mother's absence, Christine tries to reconstruct a woman she can never fully grasp from her own memory, from letters she uncovers, and the stories of other family members. As more information about her mother's death comes to light, Christine's drive to know her mother only intensifies, winding its way into her own fraught teenage years. In the process of both, she reckons with contradictions of what a woman is allowed to be and how complicated and elusive justice can be. So this memoir is going to weave together themes of power, gender, and justice and combine that into a manifesto of grief and reclamation. I don't read a lot of true crime, but I did love All Be Gone in the Dark. And so that's what really caught my eye with this. And it's a daughter's story. And I do wonder, did they catch the the guys or or what happened? And what was what was her mother's story? So this is Rabbit Heart, A Mother's Murder, A Daughter's Story by Christine S. Irvin. Mm-hmm. Good one. I remember I read I'll Be Gone in the Dark while he was still at large. Were you, did you read it or before or after? I, yes, he was still, he was still at large. Wasn't that like it was a fascinating terrifying. cultural mm-hmm. phenomenon to see the man it was get terrifying. and be on ma- I mean, rest in peace, Michelle McNamara, because boy, oh boy, yes. she did, so, she gave so much of herself to that novel. But anyway, I hope this one is similarly gripping and like, I don't know, maybe, right. I don't know anything Gripping's about it. is a good so. word to describe yeah. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah. Ooh, scary, mm-hmm. scary. Okay. Well, my current read is Come and Get It by Kylie Reed, and this is our February community read. I just started it, so I don't have very many thoughts, but it is set in a college dorm at the University of Arkansas, and it's about an RA, and it sounds like there are some complicated relationships. I've been seeing some very mixed reviews, and Mm -hmm. I don't know, though. I still think it could work for me. I liked Such a Fun Age, her debut. Not an all-time favorite, but I appreciated that it gave me a lot to think about and a lot to discuss. So I'm hoping this one is similarly thought-provoking. That was Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. I did love Such a Fun Age. So I'm I'm very I am excited for this one. I'll be reading it too. My current read it reminded me of you talking about browsing through your Kindle because that's what I did on the return trip from Mexico. So I was in the airport and I was like, let me just go through my Kindle and I get to pick whatever I want and I'm not even going to worry about the pub date. Yeah. So that's what I did. Oh, fun. Yeah, my current read. And I ended up landing on Same As It Ever Was by Claire Lombardo. And that comes out June 18th. So, I mean, I have no memory of, I I do remember reading The Most Fun We Ever Had, but I don't remember finishing it. But anyway, my Goodreads or Storygraph tells me I did and gave it three stars, but this one just sounded better to me. And so far, I am really, really liking it. I mean, part of me kind of loves it, but I, I, it's very long, so I'm going to withhold saying I love it for now. It's a family drama in which the enduring hard-won affection of a long marriage faces imminent derailment from events both past and present. I mean, that is really such a great way to describe this. And what I'm going to tell you is the main character, Julia, she has been married many years. She's 57. Her husband is turning 60. She heads to the grocery store to get some ingredients to make for his surprise birthday party. And at the grocery store, she runs into someone that she had swore and promised 
others that that she would not see this person again. And that person had previously been so important to her. And she hasn't seen this person in 18 years. And then they run into each other and then things happen. And this is just, so far, it is really messy, but really layered. She's definitely an author that likes to use words and a lot of words I'm feeling, but I don't know. I'm into it. I like these types of family dramas where you're getting an in-depth look at how did they get to where they are, but also there's a lot happening in present day. She has two kids and you know, there's things happening there. So anyway, I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty popular summer release. It's Same As It Ever Was by Claire Lombardo. Yes, I definitely think it will be popular. I did not like the most fun we ever had, even though I should have, because it's set in Chicago. And I'm like, and it's about sisters, but no. Why not, though? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I didn't. <laughs> I, I think you said there was too much arguing. There were, yeah, it. they were not kind to each other. I remember I was like, <laughs> have some compassion. Anyway, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also find us at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Gah, have some compassion. <laughs>